0: Saha nava tu Saha Tejas vi nava mavid Shanti Shanti
1: Hey there, it's Peg Mulqueen, and welcome to the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. You know, during the late 18th century, the way doctors treated patients went through this radical paradigm shift with the emergence of something you and I take for granted these days, hospitals. You see, before this time, Well, there weren't that many doctors to begin with, and so only those with enough money and status, well, they were the only ones who got to see a doctor at all. But those doctors would come to their house and be attentive. They would listen to their patients' symptoms and then do their best to make their patients feel better. Brilliant and simple. Then hospitals were created, thank goodness, so doctors could treat patients who were less privileged. But in doing so, they also created a system that disrupted that more cooperative relationship. Doctors now assumed a more dominant role as the expert in charge. So now, instead of sitting and listening to patients, doctors would examine them for themselves and formulate their diagnosis based on their education and higher knowledge. In other words, doctors were said to know a patient's body better than, well, the patients themselves. As you and I both know, there is perhaps no better a breeding ground for a growing distrust than with the imbalanced power constructs of any hierarchical system like this. Which is what happened. Doctors who were once seen as an elite professional almost a friend or family member. I mean, this was someone you invited into your home. They now became scorned and distrusted by the public. In fact, in March of 1887, one man whose wife continued to get sick under the care of many doctors wrote to his hometown journal, warning others to take heed. He said, the proverb, too many cooks spoil the broth, is twin to the maxim, too many doctors kill the patient. He said one doctor was dangerous enough, but when two get to work on a sick person, well, that's even worse. Which is why it's so puzzling the way Ashtangis have embraced this saying to speak about teachers. Because understand, the saying, too many doctors, death is coming, is more criticism of all doctors rather than the advice to keep just one interesting, right? How we adopt the sayings and customs from different times and cultures without ever truly knowing their meaning, isn't it? That being said, I still don't understand the intelligence because I have never kept just one doctor. Have you? And in some cases, I have a team. And as a student, I can think of no better team of teachers than the one you're about to hear from today. From this year's Ashtanga Yoga Confluence, today's episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast features Dina Kingsberg, Tim Feldman, Richard Freeman, Mary Taylor, David Swenson, and Manju Joyce in a panel discussion moderated by Jessica Walden. The topic is another saying, We use often in our practice, all is coming. And I think you'll be quite surprised that this expression is also quite the contrary of how it's often used. But before you listen, I want to direct you to our newly updated Ashtanga Dispatch website. I think you're going to love our new setup and find everything you need from our archive of podcasts to insightful articles to upcoming workshops and events. Um, I do want to make a big shout out to Four Eyes Productions for making our site so much easier to navigate now. Visit ashtangadispatch.com, and if you click on blog, you'll find that I wrote much more about the Confluence and my time spent with these amazing teachers. So go visit. Let me know what you think. And of course, a big thank you to the folks at the Ashtanga Yoga Confluence for providing us this recording of a brilliant team of teachers discussing what all they believe is coming through practice. So the first question is, what does the saying or the phrase, do your practice and all is coming mean to
2: you now along your yogic path? Um, Basically,
1: what does it mean to you? And we'll start with Dina.
3: (laughs) The first time I uh, was fortunate enough to sit at this table, I, uh, it took a long time before I had a chance to speak. So I asked Jessica, please don't make me laugh.
0: <laughs>
3: <clears throat> so the first time I was following Eddie, and, uh, who's unfortunately not with us today, and we were speaking about the eight limbs of Ashtanga Yoga. And his job was to introduce the subject matter. And I had, uh, through sort of an awareness of my own nervousness, asked to have ahimsa so that I could go early on in the piece. And you all know what a fabulous speaker Eddie is. And he just got going. (laughs) After the first five minutes, my palms started to sweat. (laughs) This is not good. And then he just kept going. (laughs) And after about ten minutes, I'd forgotten where I was. <laughs> and after about 15 minutes, he starts speaking about a and I go, no, you have to stop, I'll have nothing to say. <laughs> so this is my payback for that moment. <laughs> so now I'm first. Fortunately, we've had this question before, so being first, I can steal the answers that happened on <laughs> previous years. So do your practice and all is coming. I remember once David Swinson saying, uh, do your practice and all, as in everything, is coming. And I have a deep appreciation of that. When we say all is coming, it it doesn't just mean all the good stuff. It means the good and the bad. The good and the bad will keep coming. And sometimes we might want to interpret all is coming being a deep internal clarity and wisdom. But it says all is coming, all has not arrived yet. So until such time as this absolute wisdom, knowledge, and clarity arrives, it's okay if we don't know. It's okay if we don't know the answer to something, or we don't have enough information to be sure about which side of a fence to sit on. It is the ups and downs the good and the bad that comes our way that gives us an opportunity to use to use the tools of yoga to help navigate difficult situations and difficult climates with hopefully a receptivity that means the ability to sit still and to listen to get enough information to at least formulate an educated opinion about anything rather than reacting initially. I mean, once upon a time, the world was flat, yeah. and we all believed that. That was the truth. But truths change with information. And then whenever we receive information, it's also important to appreciate that we receive it according to our ability to digest and to understand and that ability in me might be very different, and I know that it is very different, than the ability of Tim or Jessica or David or Monju or Mary. We're all really different. We have different backgrounds. We have different you know, ways of interacting with the world. We have different cultures. We have different understandings. So with that in mind... We are presented with many different faces of God. And which one shall we pray to? Which one is the true God? Which one is the right God? Should we say, my way is the right way and yours is wrong, and therefore create conflict? Or shall we be open to the idea that we're not really sure what is the face of God, or the face of anything, or the absolute truth of anything? We have some ideas. Some ideas are more educated than other ideas, but we don't really know for sure. What we want to do is continue the practice of yoga so that we can be more attuned with ourselves, so that we can start to really trust our own sense of equilibrium and our own perception of things, that we can move beyond just those ideas that the society puts on us or our parents put on us or our schooling puts on us or the magazine puts on us and just step aside from everything that belonged to someone else and just sink into a quiet place and work out what we feel about anything. So do your practice and all is coming. I'm hoping the clarity to become wise and share something helpful is coming. Thank you.
0: Richard? Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
4: what, what is left to say? Um, do your practice and all is coming. Um, you know, when we chant the invocation, sammasara, halahala, moh that halahala is the uh, toxic sludge that came from practice. Uh, when they... Gods and the demons got together to churn the ocean to make nectar. Um, they got eventually. They got nectar, but one of the first products was this uh, toxic sludge, halahala, Hala, which is a—it's po- a poison of the delusion of samsara. Um, and this is coming, and it—it's a. It's here, yeah. You're tasting it. But what it is is, you act, as you practice, you you start to see things. Um, you start to really feel things that are as they arise, and you start to uh, understand more deeply impermanence uh, and the cause of suffering, and you actually start to feel how you really feel. Um, so if you have unconscious fears and, and desires, and if you have, you know, um, what we call lust, anger, greed, etc., all of that, uh, gradually you start to feel what that means, and that's a deep sadness. And so, um, what happened in the myth of the churning of the ocean is. All of the gods and the demons and everybody was quite upset at the you know, the stench of this toxic sludge. Um, and so they got Shiva to come. And Shiva came down to the shore of the ocean and scooped it all up in the palm of his hand. And then he slurped it in. And there are lots of different versions of the story. But then he held it. Uh, in his throat, in the akasha, the non-obstructive, radiant space of his throat. And that way he didn't accept it or reject it, you know, as the halahala puts forth stories, theories, creates universes, um, good and bad. Um, He was able just to observe it, you know, as raw phenomenon. And so that's... If you practice meditation, you might go, oh, that sounds... And in that way, the, the universe was saved. Um, there's a nice story that he wasn't allowed to swallow it because Parvati grabbed him by the throat That <laughs> said, you're not going to swallow that. But I, li- I like the version where he just held it, didn't swallow it, didn't spit it out. And so all, all is coming. Uh, birth, death, old age, disease... But in the feeling of them front on, face on, uh, then comes uh, an awakening. And so that, that awakening is coming uh, once we, you know, really not just theorize about the, the truth of impermanence, but we actually feel it you know, in all of its implications. Then from that, uh, compassion arises, ahimsa. Arises, yoga arises, and you really can't get the yoga without the halahala. Uh... Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, we never tell people that on the first class. Today. <laughs> That's all I have to
1: say. <laughs> Thank you. Super enlightening. <laughs> Mary, do you want to say anything?
2: Sometimes when I think about do your practice and all is coming, I, I say it like you do, you know, something over and over and over. And then it starts to flip into do your practice and all is coming into and all is com- coming, do your practice. Um which, because all is coming, whether you want it to or not. And what I have found over the years of practicing this form of practice is that when all of that is coming, um, it is the stability of the day in and day out process of showing up on the mat, not knowing what's going to happen, Uh, maybe imagining that you're going to have a wonderful practice and then reaching up and just about here, it's like, uh uh-oh. Or thinking it's going to be terrible and then it's a wonderful practice. And whether it's terrible or wonderful, the, the thing that consistently happens is that at the end of the practice, there is this feeling of, as Dina was saying, of, some thread of clarity that might not have been there before. So that when things are in my mind or in our minds as we practice, I know many of you have had this experience of something intense or good or whatever being on your mind, and at the end of the practice, it's been assimilated. It's been a problem has been solved or a, a way of seeing things has shifted and so, to me, that's really what that this whole thing means is that it is the ability to stay with the practice through the good times and the bad times, through the health, through the not so healthy days. Uh, being able to use your natural intelligence to shift the practice when you need to, to be you know more forceful sometimes, less forceful other times. To to really tune in. Um, so that the practice on the mat starts reflecting what we are encountering off the mat. And the skill of observing these subtle changes that happen day in and day out spills out into our daily lives so that we can wake up little by little by little, if we're lucky. And then if we don't, it's okay. We go back to the mat the next day. Uh, so to me, often people will say, you know, what is up with this? You've been doing this practice for however many, you know, close to 40 years, 35, 40 years, and you're doing the same poses over and over and over. Like, <laughs> And it's like, well, you know, either I'm quite simple, which could be part of it, um, or, and or. Um, what happens is it, that as we do this practice, and you're not having to say, well... Today I kind of feel like back bends. So I'm going to do back bends. You know, you do what is this sequence and then you have an injury and you say, well, I can't do any of the things that involve the knee for the next 2 years, but I know other things that I do. Or you're doing your full practice and you notice one day you you notice the differences and that it's like polishing your capacity to observe, that then allows you, as Richard said, as Dina said, to listen to the world, to listen to others, to show up without uh, without making uh, a, a conclusion about something prematurely. And then once you know the answer, saying, do... I really know under these circumstances what the answer is. So it's this safe place to cultivate that capacity for uh, clear thinking, for open-mindedness. So to me, that's what it really represents. Um, And as Dina said also, a huge part that has... I was thinking it this morning as we were in the Mysore room together. A huge part that it that keeps me with this practice is the feeling of connectedness with other practitioners. As we travel to someplace like this or around the world to a little Mysore studio where three people are or another studio where they're 50, uh, there is this sense of people who are on a, a path that's similar to mine. And I feel connected. So that's what it means to me. Thank you so much.
1: I don't think we need to hear from
3: you guys because I think they. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. All
5: right.
1: How about you, David?
5: What they said. I mean, they have been. Is this on? Oh. <laughs> What I find fascinating about these panels is I love to just be here and listen. I'd be happy to just sit here and not talk at all and just listen (laughs) to these illuminated people up here speak. But if you notice, they're speaking from personal experience. They're not quoting other people. So, if you look at the sentence, Do your practice, all is coming. Yoga is a path that requires some effort. If you just said, do your and all is coming, yeah. <laughs> it requires the practice for the thing to happen. Yoga is designed around the concept of experiential perception it's different than reading about something or having someone else explain something to us. Um, I have a friend, he's a a scientist, and he also likes yoga. And so we get into these conversations about science and yoga, and he says, you know, you yoga people, talk about energy and prana and bandhas, but this is all silliness because none of those things can be measured. And if something cannot be measured, it does not exist. I said, OK, cool. <laughs> Where is the love He says, well, that's silliness. Love is just some chemicals gurgling around in your brain that makes you have some kind of a sensation, you know. And he says, we scientists, We have instruments that are so refined that we can determine the existence of solar winds. We have instruments so refined that we can see and understand the existence of subatomic particles like quarks. I said, wow. (laughs) I'm so happy for you guys. That's great. However, with your theory, are you telling me that the day before you could perceive those particles, they did not exist? Or have they always existed and prior to that moment you were unable to perceive their existence because your tools were not refined enough to perceive them? Right? So, the perceptions of yoga can only be perceived through one thing. Practice. Without practice, we will get nowhere. Yeah? But with practice, we now have the opportunity to gain insights into things that otherwise would be inaccessible. But it doesn't mean that it's easy. Another one of Patabi Joyce is saying, Yoga is not easy. <laughs> So if we want to perceive the imperceptible, it's going to require some difficulty. And so in my conversation with with this guy, I said, unfortunately, the instruments you're using, it's not going to work. You're not going to perceive this stuff. What instruments did yogis use? What instruments? Their body. And nowadays it's very on vogue to say she's a yogini, he's a yogi. But this is rather an extreme statement. Yogi is very extreme. Sleeping very little, eating just enough food to keep alive, stripping away everything that was not an absolute necessity until all that was left is their body becomes like an antenna to perceive the imperceptible. And how did they do that? Through some sort of practice. We're all doing the best we can for the entirety of our life, however long we practice this, for decades, never do we step on the mat and say, today I perform. (laughs) Today I practice. Practice means we don't have all the answers. We're practicing. We're trying to gain more knowledge, gain greater understanding, gain some greater sense of awareness of ourself and our interactions to the world around us. Thus far in my life the most spiritual people I have ever met without exception have never been the people telling me I am the most spiritual person you will ever meet. <laughs> We're slogging our way through the sludge <laughs> that Richard described so eloquently.
0: <laughs>
5: and sometimes we get taste of nectar too. <laughs> The practice of yoga isn't always a pretty thing. But without it, whoa, life is harder. Because at least we have a tool. And we're constantly trying to figure out how to use this tool in a little more refined manner to truly translate into the challenges of everyday life. The thing on the mat, that's part of the practice, but we could go through every word of that. So it's do... Your practice, and just start going through So do, we've got to do something. Your meaning, our practice. It's very easy to look at other people's practices, other people's lives, judging other people, other things. We have to do our own practice, yeah? In preparation for everything that's coming. Big tsunami of a mixed bag of good, bad, happy, sad. Everything, yeah? And I've, I've given this description before, but personally when I practice, I've, it's a little like those Star Wars or Star Trek movies, whatever. And you're in the spaceship and the enemies are attacking, they're shooting all this stuff at, at the ship, right? And invariably they've got some button and they push it and a force field comes up. <laughs> now the stuff's bouncing off and they're safe for a little while, but these force fields have a shelf life. They're not gonna last long, right? And so eventually, like, you got to get us out of here. And they say it in a Scottish accent, possibly, (laughs) or something. And we've got to get out of here. The shield's coming down, right? And you've either got to figure out a way to put this shield back up there or get out of there. Practice creates a force field around us, which is a filtration system we cannot control the challenges, the missiles that are going to shoot at us with, in this day and age. There's a lot of craziness in the world. We can't control that. But if we practice and we have this filtration system, the stuff when it's coming at us has this moment where it can slow down, we can react differently to the challenges and the barbs of life and let us respond in a with greater clarity and dealing with the actual reality of of what is occurring. And then what happens? The force field starts to weaken. You stop practicing. Wow, now it's just harsh. It's smashing into us. you got to get back on there, practice, and and build your prana bubble. That's what's going to help us with everything that's coming. Some things we welcome. Wow, it's a juicy, good, fun thing. Other things are challenging, but we have to welcome those as well. You can't just filter and say, I only want good stuff. That's not what that comment from Patabi Joyce was. We just prepare ourselves through the practice for everything that's coming.
3: Thank you. Just going to go down the line. Tim? Um,
6: Yeah, practice and all is coming. So... Um, I had the fortune of practicing with Guruji, with Bithabi Joyce, for about five, six years only, where many here on this panel has had the possibility of practicing so much longer time with him. Um, but as I wasn't fluent in Canada, uh, Guru- Guruji's native language, or in Sanskrit, um, I was left to try to interpret what the man meant with all these one-liners that he kept throwing at us. And it seems to me that most of us are trying to do just that, like trying to figure out what was it the Guruji meant when he said that thing. And um, do your practice and all is coming is uh, one of those one-liners that we seem to all be trying to um, unwrap over the years here, uh, every year a little bit more. Um, and in that regard, so much has been said, so many beautiful things. Um, I just had one little thought in my regards to my own practice, and um, I find that the sentence is a a declaration of hope, like that day when my hands, my nails are almost coming together in D like walking through that toxic sludge trying to get to that place and my mind starts to like produce toxic sludge also, (laughs) then there's that little sentence that says, do you practice, and all is coming. And it's like this forgiving, hopeful um, statement that means if I don't get it today, I have another day tomorrow, and then another day tomorrow, another day tomorrow, and six days in a row, then I can rest a little bit, and then I can get at it again. So I don't need to catch it today. I don't need to do it today. I have more time. I have lots of time to do that.
1: Thank you, Tim. More about it? <laughs> <laughs> One
0: more, Monty. I know oh, you can do it.
1: Yes.
7: <laughs> well, actually, uh, everything is coming to you. It's In Sanskrit, they say... Abhyasa Siddhi Yogesh Abhyasa means practice. Siddhi means it is going to happen. Yoga means opportunity, good luck. And uh, so there are and uh, unite with yourself. There are three meanings for that yoga. <clears throat> so without expecting anything, you just keep practicing. So you don't ask questions and, and you don't doubt it. Say, oh is this yoga is really going to work? No. Not for
3: you.
7: Because <laughs> <clears throat> he already doubted. My father used to say the same thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Abhyasa, Abhyasa, Abhyasa. No, practice, practice. It's coming. It's coming. So, I always keep asking, what is coming? When is coming? I'm practicing all these years. I don't see anything is coming. And then he said, you're running out of patience. So, no, I'm not running out of You know, I'm kind of curious when this is going to come. <laughs> I want to know what is going to come. Then he said, you keep asking me, it is going to come. <laughs> then I realized, uh-oh. I should stop asking this and start practicing it. Just like he said, things will start changing because when people start practicing yoga or try to become a yogi or whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> what happens is they have a lot of expectations. See, in the expectations, the yoga has no expectation. It happens spontaneously. But people are, yeah, I'm practicing yoga for 20 years. It seems like I'm getting nowhere. Then I said, where are you trying to get? <laughs> Maybe you're already there. You don't even realize that. You see? See, that's the whole idea of you just keep practicing without expectation. Then you will see how everything start changes. you see? So we don't talk about diet, it changes by itself because if you are eating meat or whatever, that's what the waste is grow up with meat eating. So we don't say, stop eating meat, stop this, stop that, just drink the soya milk no, you
0: know, and
7: <laughs> become a become a vegan you know, all sorts of things. But in the yoga, when you start practicing, your body becomes more sensitive. It will tells you what to eat and what not to eat. And plus the more you practice, the more you're getting sensitive. Then you change. That's what Nehemiah is coming there, right there. So, don't have any expectations from anybody, especially from me. <laughs> Just practice. <if> you come. <laughs> Thank you.
1: <laughs> Before you go, I want to let you know what else is coming up. David Kyle, my good friend, amazing teacher, will join me here in Montana this summer for our annual five-day yoga retreat into nature. It's going to be such, such a special and intimate week. Visit ashtangadispatch.com for all the details. And something else that's coming is another podcast episode, probably next week with yet another panel discussion. This one features Scott Johnson, Greg Nardi, and me from this past month's spring gathering at Stillpoint Yoga in London. The topic? Parampara and what this means to us today. It's a pretty important and relevant topic, so I hope you'll tune in. Now, don't miss this or any other episodes. Make sure that you're subscribed through iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts. The Ashanga Dispatch podcast is hosted by me, Peg Mulqueen, with Chris Lucas as our editor and producer. If you're enjoying these podcasts, please let others know share them on Facebook, or give us some stars on iTunes. We need more reviews. You can even become a member by supporting the show through Patreon. Visit patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. Because remember, we don't have sponsors or advertisers. We're really just a very small operation. And so we rely on the generosity of friends like you. So visit patreon.com backslash Ashtanga Dispatch. And thanks again for listening. I will be back very soon with the next episode of the Ashtanga Dispatch Podcast. Until then, keep practicing because all is coming.
0: Om. Sahana Vavatu. Saha now bhunaktu Saha vir young hai Tejas vi nava dhi tamas tu mavid Shanti shan-